I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter and this is the Badass Women's Hour. This week, I went to the Bath Literary Festival to do a talk all about my new book, WFH, How to Build a Career You Love When You're Not in the Office. Publishing a book in the pandemic means I haven't done those traditional, I've just published a book things. There was no book launch, no party, and until Saturday, I hadn't even seen my book in a bookshop. So I got to go to Bath for the weekend to talk to actual real life people about my book and get to pay actual real life money for it in an actual real life bookshop. It's basically been a dream come true. The brilliant Kate Cocker, whose team edit this podcast so fabulously, reminded me to take a moment to celebrate it. So often we reach big milestones, things we've wanted and have worked towards for ages, and then we instantly move on. We forget to pause in the moment and to really savour the fact that this thing we've been working towards has now happened. We made it. I am particularly bad at this. I'm very much, uh, yep, that's done. Move on. Right. What's next? So I'm really trying to take a moment to savour it. And I want to remember it and be really proud of it. So if you've had a moment like this too recently, if you've got something you've wanted for a while or you've worked really hard towards something, then I urge you to do the same. Take a little bit of time just to enjoy the feeling of it rather than setting the next goal already. But because I'm busy savoring and because I was in Bath this weekend, there isn't a full badass women's hour this week. Instead, I'm bringing you two interviews with two awesome women. Michelle Kennedy talks about the language you use when dealing with women's health and Josie Lloyd explains how running helped her deal with a cancer diagnosis. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Michelle Kennedy is the founder of the Peanut app, which connects mums around the world. Not only is she a tech badass, but she's now responsible for changing the language the medical profession uses when dealing with women. She explains why it needed to happen. I think actually it's something that's been happening on Peanut for a long time. There's always been a conversation around um, language and the language used towards women and women's bodies and particularly around ownership and where did that come from? And I bet it wasn't a woman who came up with that. And so that's something that's always kind of existed. And one um, user um, left a a video post on Peanut talking about uh, being described as having a geriatric pregnancy and feeling Mm -hmm. just a bit kind of rubbish about it it was picked up on twitter the whole thing kind of blew up and um we decided to enlist the professionals to help us do something about it so with with the help of um doctors gynecologists linguists um and and others we pulled together a new defining um glossary for women's health so no more 
inhospitable womb, no more habitual aborter. Can you believe that one? Um, And just making more um, suggestions where women were sat around the table making the uh, decisions and the recommendations. And the brilliant women of Peanut came forward and all shared their phrases, which were absolutely unbelievable in some respects. I was kind of you know, cringing reading them, but it had to come from the professionals and they've, they've put together something that, that's really impactful, I think. I mean, we need to talk about habitual aborter there because I hear that phrase and I thought it was something completely different from what it actually means. Tell us about it. it, it it's just one of these unbelievable um, phrases that is used when women are suffering from miscarriages and, and, and um, the pregnancies um, aren't um, going through, for want of a better word. So when you think about then a woman being referred to or her her body being referred to as a habitual aborter, it's just absolutely shocking. And you're absolutely right. Your, your immediate reaction to that is the woman must be deciding yeah. to have an abortion. She must be making that choice. And, and to, to know that actually, no, what we're, what we're defining here is a biological term um, where, where pregnancies aren't going to term and, and it, it's just unbelievable. And that's not the worst. You know, I've got um, examples in there of women who had been trying to conceive for um, so long and the um, phrases from doctors were premature ovarian failure. Mm. Just the word failure mm. in relation to your body at a time when you already feel so vulnerable and so low is just so damaging. And so... Um, that we're, we're very fortunate. We have amazing women on the platform who are very honest and they use the platform to be honest. And I, I actually felt it was a responsibility of ours to kind of champion their voices and their honesty and, and try and move towards change. When you took some of these phrases to the medical profession, did they have, you know, I mean, what was their response to it? Because it astonishes me that doctors are just using these phrases every day as if they were normal and nobody's gone, oh, hang on, that's that's not actually a particularly lovely phrase. Yeah, there was plenty of women, actually, who we spoke to, um, doctors, physicians, um, mm. obstetrician, gynaecologists, who were saying that actually the language that that is the customary language is not language that they like to use. So they might use it kind of internally to one another because that's yeah. the language being used. But to their patients, they're trying to moderate language. And that's obviously a lot of burden for them as well, right? That means mm-hmm. that they're they're trying to keep up a, a, a double like language. But that that ultimately the point of this is women weren't sat around the table making these decisions about um, what language to use and now that we do and and have more and hopefully forever we'll have more seats at the table now is the time to to make that change. So what were some of the things that you came up with and how did you go about deciding the kind of approach you were going to take? So we really handed it to the experts. You know, Peanut is a social network and it's it's not our job to um, kind of make the language, but it can be our job to find the right people and to source the right people and to, to get them to sit down. So we asked our community to share with us the phrases that they found most problematic. We picked the most problematic ones, um, most recurring, I should say, problematic ones. We shared them with the panel and they came back. And, you know, even, even that still is a work in progress. There are... Um, 
words and phrases that are still not perfect and we're still you know very open to suggestions but at least this is a starting point and um we've asked the medical professions who are on the panel to share it far and wide we ask our women to share it far and wide and if you're in a situation where um a physician is using language that you do feel is outdated towards your body you are entitled to ask them whether they would mind um you know refraining or you know, share share the new glossary. We're we're happy for you to do that. But you know, we we are um, enabled, and and we should feel enabled to 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 voice the the changes we want to see. I mean, I think that's such an important point, isn't it? Because you know, so often, so many of us are in a doctor's surgery, and things are being said to us or done to us that we feel we have no right of complaint about. Really, we think we we'll just have to go on with it. Absolutely. I mean, even when I was having my daughter, um, mm. I was referred to as a geriatric pe- pregnancy. And actually, I mean, at the time, I laughed, but in a nervous laugh, because I wasn't really sure what to say. And, and I felt awkward. And I was like, gosh, I'm only 35, am I? And mm. and so there was this, you know, it was a nervous laugh. But, and I kind of shrugged it off and laughed with girlfriends afterwards. But but did I feel that it was funny? I, I didn't feel that it was funny actually I just it was part shock part horror part um oh my gosh you know like what does that mean so um I think there is now more than ever an opportunity for us to to make the correction and ultimately if we don't make the correction the young women behind us will only have to encounter this and oftentimes if you are seeing a physician it's because you are either going through a seismic life change um or you're not well, or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And to have that very, very lowest part or most vulnerable, most open part of your um, life, kind of the wrong language used, I think that can be really damaging, actually. Well, I think what you've done is absolutely fantastic. And I'm so pleased you took the challenge on. Thank you for doing it. Michelle, if somebody wants to find out more about the new glossary or some of the terms you've created, where can they find it? You can go and check out the hashtag Renaming Revolution or you can um, go and find Peanut or the App Store or Google Play. Actually, while I've got you, Michelle, brilliant. Thank you yeah. so much for that. I'm going to ask you about a weird thing that I saw this week that I honestly thought was a kind of outdated April Fool's joke and then it wasn't, which is the concept of pinky gloves. Did you see this? Is this to remove your tampon? Yes. It was appalling. I also <laughs> thought it was a joke. So for anyone who has um, luckily enough not been exposed to this horror, two men in Germany created sort of what essentially looked like pink surgical gloves, which women can buy in packs of 48. I don't know how they got to the number 48. In packs of 48 uh, to use when removing their tampon. I mean, I don't know how we've been doing it up until now. Who knew that I needed that so much? Now, Apart from the fact, Michelle, it's just an absolutely horrifying idea. This idea, not only did it get kind of into a man's mind, these guys created a company and then they pitched this company to the German equivalent of Dragon's Den and then they got funding from another man. Now, I know that it's really hard for women to get funding for good ideas, let alone stupid ones. Do you think that this is a representative of funding for female entrepreneurs because I know you've been through that process Mm. and B do you think this is really a sign that actually we should all and I use a we but certainly venture capitalists should be thinking really carefully about funding 
anything that is for women that has not been created by women. Look, I mean, there we are at a point in time where having men make decisions about women's lives and the things that women need without women's involvement is extremely problematic. Um, it's problematic in the assumptions that are made, i.e. we don't want to touch our own tampon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's problematic um, in um, how that product then develops. So I think there is a, a real issue, and, and you probably also remember around 12 months ago, a leading period tracker app, which has been created by three men. Um, and the data was being sold and you know women weren't aware of it. So there is a very real problem with um, businesses being created around women's health and private details of women's health, actually, and, and there not being uh, more awareness of women of, of how that um, is happening and what's being uh, done to exploit their data, for want of a better expression. In terms of the um, venture capital and the fundraising landscape, you know, it it's it sucks right now, right? Mm-hmm. It's really appalling. It's it's only gone down. I think we had a, a high in twenty eighteen of three percent. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and I think we're now dwindling back down at two percent. Um, and of that, you know, we have to call that out for what it is. Of all of the funds mm-hmm. and the money raised and the businesses that receive investment, only two percent go to companies founded by women and led by women. And yet, we know statistically that companies which are led by women um, or have uh, women founders uh, perform better than male-only. Um, companies. We know that, that that's been proven too. So there is a real difficulty. And the only way to change this um, is to try and diversify the venture capitalists. It has to start by diversifying the people who are writing the checks um, Mm -hmm. and making the investments. Because if they are, if we don't diversify there, then the issues that women want to um, innovate in, they want to build in the spaces, they don't resonate with the people who are sitting around the decision holding the um, checks. So it is a really, really challenging one, but it has to start now. There are some incredible investors out there who do believe in the value um, of investing in women-led and women-focused products, Um, but it shouldn't be that that is the minority. and, And that's the problem, I think. That was Michelle Kennedy, founder of The Peanut App. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Next up, Josie Lloyd is a writer whose running career had never extended beyond an occasional jog down the road until she discovered she had cancer. In this interview, she talks about how a running club saved her mental health and why it became the inspiration for her new book. Hey, Harriet, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Um, so start off, first of all, telling me, are you naturally a runner? Have you always been a runner? Well, I would say that I'm more of a chogger, a chat <laughs> jogger. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm a runner, runner. But um, I have actually, to be fair, when I first moved to Brighton about 10 years ago, um, I did do a Brighton, the Brighton Marathon. So I have actually done a marathon, but I'm not, I'm, I'm really built for comfort, not speed. It's not, not my natural, <laughs> not, not my, but I do like it. You know, I, it's, I do it really as a kind of reluctant thing to kind of like <laughs> take my heart for a walk, you know, like a dog. So, That's yeah, a I, great I... way of looking at it. I like that. <laughs> um, um, because you really got into it. We think generally of runners as people who get into running because they're fit and they're healthy and they want to stay fit and healthy. But actually you became a sort of committed runner because you yeah. had had a cancer diagnosis totally by accident so I got picked up on a routine scan I was called for a voluntary scan see I was 47 they said do you want to come uh we're testing under 50s come for a voluntary mammogram thank god I did because I was picked up and um I was diagnosed with breast cancer and Roz who's a mum at the school gate but also a fitness instructor said come on, come down the seafront and join my girls who are all, you know, going through treatment. And I was like, Roz, I am going to bed under the duvet with chocolate biscuits. I'm, I'm not moving. And she said, no, 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 keep fit. You've got to keep fit. It's really important. They're building gyms next to oncology departments in Australia. Come down the seafront. So off I went and I met this group of girls who were just what I needed because it was such a shock to get this horrible diagnosis. And overnight, what happens when you get a diagnosis like that? You feel that everything that makes you you has been stripped away and all anyone can talk about or say or see is you or somebody with cancer. And, you know, and it's was, it was really scary. Um, anyway, they were very wonderful, kind of dynamic, funny plucky group of women then most of them were a bit ahead of me in treatment uh quite a lot of them were coming out the other side and trying to sort of get their mojo back and we landed up running together and that was how the whole thing started because you know I was running with these girls every week and then I went down a couple of weeks later and there was a guy from the press there he said um oh it's so great you're doing the Brighton Marathon 10k (laughs) And I was like, the what? The actual what? Anyway, and Ross said, yeah, we're, we're training for the Brighton Marathon 10K. You, you know, you're going to do it. So that's what happened. So I landed up running the Brighton Marathon 10K with the gang just before my third chemo. So I was running wow. full. I mean, it's, it's so amazing because I think we still have a picture of people going through cancer treatment, going through chemo as you can't live your normal life. And you can't have the normal things. No, well, you can't, you know, you you do get very debilitated. But actually what I very quickly learned was actually putting a pair of trainers on and getting out in the sunshine and getting my blood moving and getting, mo- you know, motivated by this sort of tr- my tribe of women that I'd found was entirely the right medicine and the thing that I needed the most. So despite 
how terrible I felt at times through through my treatment, you know, going in and seeing them and kind of running with them was just a remarkable and wonderful thing. So, yeah, I, I could thoroughly recommend it to everybody. And, you know, for me, what happened was we, you know, we ran this 10K race and I was hot and bothered and I was slowing down. And I took my hat off and I'm running bald. And then all this, this amazing thing happens. All these runners run past me and they go, oh, I'm clear three years. Keep going. I'm clear five years. Keep going. And I was oh like, oh, wow, you know, thing. And, um, and then this one woman, I mean, this is the story that kind of sparked the book, but mm. this one woman ran with me and she was like this picture of health. And she said, oh, I had cancer treatment. I had cancer. I ran all the way through my treatment. It was really poorly. Um, but, you know, you can do it. Keep going. And so uh, she really motivated me and I ran on. And then on the very last turn of the race, she'd waited for me and she said, oh, stop a minute, I wanna to talk to you. And I said, what is it? And she said, well, when I was going through treatment at my lowest ebb, she said, I, I was in a cafe and this woman came up to me, this stranger. And she said, um, I know exactly what we're going through. I've been there and I want you to have hope that your life is gonna be better the, uh, than ever, the other side of cancer. Don't give up hope, it's gonna be fine. And this woman in the cafe had taken off a little butterfly necklace and had given it to the runner and said, this is a little butterfly of hope and I want you to wear it and one day you can pass it on. And the runner said to me, I've been wearing this necklace for three years and now it's time to pass it on and now it's your little butterfly of hope and I want you to know that your life is gonna be better than ever the other side of cancer. We had this little cuddle and off she went and I don't even know her name. And I've been wearing this sort of little butterfly necklace for three years, which hopefully I will pass on one day. But as a novelist, it was such an extraordinary moment, Harriet. I was just like, right, I've got to write a novel about this. So I that's mean, where it came from. It's absolutely amazing. Tell us about the novel itself and kind of the the premise of it, the give us the outline of the plot. Well, it's about Kira, who is, uh, there's a lot of my journey in it and a lot of my medical details, but she's not me. It's very much a fiction book. She's uh, she's also a mum of three kids. She's got a very successful business. She runs a kind of lovely um, gift shop in town. She's very happily married. She, you know, she's at the top of her game. She thinks everything's fab and she doesn't want anything to change. And then, of course, she gets this diagnosis of cancer and she finds you know her tribe when she meets Tamsin who's like this elder goth who is a runner and uh, who persuades her into running and very slowly they kind of gather more into their running team and she lands up kind of spearheading this race and doing a race um, to raise some money and um, but along the way it's, a, it's very much a novel about how when you get a diagnosis like this your life doesn't stop she's still a busy mum dog still needs his ejections the kids there's still problems with the teens there's horrible mother-in-laws and so it's it's about her sort of coping with it and I and it's funny and it's uplifting and one of the things that I really wanted to do was to write a story about cancer and getting through it and how many many women like me are not just surviving cancer but thriving the other side of it because cancer I felt you know when I first was diagnosed I really wanted to look for a book I'm a great fiction reader and I wanted a book but cancer is quite often depicted in such a sad and depressing <laughs> an awful way and we need to kind of tell some stories about the reality of it which is 
one in two of us are going to get cancer in our lifetimes. One in eight women get breast cancer. So it's something that affects us all. And there's many, many women, and I'm not sugarcoating it because yeah. I know that it's kind of difficult and not many people, not everybody has great outcomes, but there are a lot of people doing really well the other side. And it takes some of the fear out of it, I think. I mean, I just loved your story so much when I read about it, Josie, because I have a, a very good friend who she taught me to run. So she was the person that took me on park run and got me around 5k very, very, very slowly. And she's a much better runner than I. And she used to jog so slowly with me the whole way around this park run. We were always the last people, but she taught me to run. And we met up for our weekly run one day and um, she said, oh, it's, you know, it's got a bit of a horrible week ahead because I've got to go and have this mammogram, but I think it's going to be fine. And it turned out she had breast cancer mm -hmm. and we ran together throughout her treatment and just reading about it really reminded me, sorry, it's a bit emotional, really reminded me of the first run we did to, together after her treatment. Yeah. And just, you know, bless her, she'd run so slowly with me the whole way through. And then I was running slowly with her when she was going through treatment. And after treatment, and she just got halfway around, she's like, I've just got to go. And I was like, go, go. And <laughs> she like took off to finish this run. But it was this kind of moment for her of just being like, yes, I'm kind of I yeah. am this person with a life and I am reclaiming it. And it was just yeah. the most beautiful thing. And that experience actually brought us much, much closer as friends. And yeah. you talk in the book about, you know, the importance of female friendship. How important yeah. was that for you when well, you were going through your... Totally diagnosis? crucial. And, you know, and I what a lovely story about your friend. And, oh, you know, off to that. And, you know, good for her. And she's, mm. you know... Uh, that whole thing of kind of running, of reclaiming your life is so true, it's so important. But friendship, this is this is a book about friendship. It's about old friends, it's about new friends, it's about friends you meet for a little bit of time, and it's about friends who you thought were your friends, but actually turn out not to be your friends. So, you know, there is quite a lot in there. But for me, personally, getting through the whole thing was only possible with the support of my friends and I think certainly when you go through something monumental it's really important that you find friends that are going through the same thing as you mm. um I found that really helpful you know like new mums find you know NCT groups or whatever and then they kind of form these bonds me and the girls who I ran with we are so close you know we don't we are completely different people we wouldn't ever have met you know but we've just got this really tight bond and I know that I could really rely on them for anything so you know it's a really important thing and such a lovely thing to have come out of it so it was, it was a very important for me to write about it how was it writing about it did you find it easy to write about particularly writing about cancer and the treatment process and the diagnosis and all that sort of did it did you feel at that stage sort of rem far enough removed from it that it was easy to write about or was it a more cathartic uh, well it's been a lot it's been a long process it's a good question I mean I had uh, I journaled all the way through it because I'm a writer. So I and I actually I really encourage anybody who's going through the listening to this, who's going through anything, going through treatment, get a notebook and write it down, because actually getting those very scary thoughts out of the page, out of your head and onto the page is actually an incredibly therapeutic thing to do. So. You know, I had all this copy because, of course, I've written it all down about meeting these kind of strange new people in this medical world and all this new jargon you get and all these kind of appointments. And so I kept, kept a note of it. And, you know, to be honest, being a very, 
vain author at the end of it. I had like 80,000 words of quite quite interesting copy. And I'm like, well, I've got to do something with this. But I didn't want to write a memoir. I didn't, you know, it was very important to me that I wrote a fiction book because I didn't want it to be, I want it to be general enough so that it was an every woman kind of experience, that it was not very specific, that, mm-hmm. but that it was something that everybody who maybe has had a touch of, you know, a run in with cancer or know somebody who's had some would, would be able to see that it would apply to them. So it took me quite a long time to actually find Kira's story and find the kind of running girls and make them truly fictional. But it's, there's quite, I mean, I'm not, you know, denying it. It's, it's quite a heart on your sleeve novel. It's, there's a lot of me in there, but also I think it's important to be honest about these things and to be brave and put those details out there because she is, it's important to make it authentic and to make it real. For anyone who's go, who's listening to this now and maybe is going through this, is going through treatment, and there is a point, I think, in the treatment process where you just feel like, oh my God, this is, this is going forever am I ever going to feel normal again yeah what would you want to what would you want them to know uh to stay positive I think having a positive attitude is really really key you're never going to feel positive the whole way through there are going to be dark days but it will pass and you will get better and it's uh this what this one I really wanted to write about in this novel is that moment where you get a diagnosis and you suddenly leave the old shores of your old life you've left you and you're kind of on the way to somewhere new and you don't know how that's going to be when you get there but just have hope and trust that it's going to be all right because it is and just stay positive get one just it's the real kind of runners kind of mantra put one foot in front of the other and you will get there and the thing is is you know cancer treatment is a bit of a conveyor belt you get on it and you kind of it's relentless because it's appointment 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 and treatment and treatment and treatment and you know get to the end of it you're like you feel slightly run over by the whole thing but then you do get better do you um are you still running now yeah yeah we ran this week yeah (laughs) and um I actually made my husband do a 10k we were going to do the Brighton Marathon 10k in April but it got cancelled so I'm (laughs) Emily my husband said oh babe I'll do that with you and I was like really (laughs) so we did did a 10k the other week so yeah no I still run and I still run with the girls I mean I didn't run far but I probably run about sort of I do the park run and actually there's a really good thing that's uh 5k my way which is part of the park run so it's oh. it's for anybody going through treatment um who wants to put their trainers on and doesn't know who to like turn to but doesn't want to run on their own go to the park run have look up 5k my way and you'll find a whole load of people and brilliant volunteers and people who are supporting cancer patients and people go through a tough time who are just don't think they can run but you can go as slowly as you like and go around uh, just after the park runners that was Josie Lloyd and her new book The Cancer Ladies Running Club is out now that's all for this week thank you so much for listening and I hope you've enjoyed it as ever please do rate review subscribe and I'll be back again next week with the normal format but in the meantime just a reminder to savour a bit of your badass brilliance You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass guests and in-depth chat.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 